Happened in the 90s. Matt was the fat kid, Steve was the flat kid. Life wasn't always great, but you know what was? The 90s. Happened in the 90s. Yeah! In a city where glamour is everything, Brenda Walsh thought her mother could use some lessons. What is it about me you suddenly find so embarrassing? Kelly's mom remembers what it was like to be my age. Why can't you? But in this town, not everything's as it seems. You think my mom's so amazing? Mom, wake up. Can't you see? It's just an act. I always thought she had the most perfect life. You have no idea what it's like to live with an alcoholic. Welcome to Beverly Hills 90210 tonight. So, welcome to episode 90, Steve. Episode 90 of oh, Happened in the 90s. I mean, I'm fucking... I've been waiting for this. The stars finally aligned for this episode of Martin. But before we get to the TV, the, the entertainment, I just thought I'd share a funny little uh, thing that happened to me last week. Um, I... In case you can't tell by the fucking just sexy lineup, just the fucking... Just nice, the good haircut. I did go to a barber, and I went to the same barber I went to last time. Machine. Harponery. No, haircuttery is dead, Steve. I found a barber guy who's got a chair in this place. It's a Middle Eastern dude, so he he gave me a haircut of like a couple weeks ago, or maybe like a month ago. Uh, but this time I wanted to get a beard lineup too, so that's fine. Um, and I'm a very accommodating person, Steve. I try to just let somebody do their thing. If I don't understand what's going on, maybe I'll ask a question. But in this case, I was just like, he's putting me back. He's getting me in the bed, you know, that the little beard lineup position where you're sort of on your back a little bit. He's lining me up. So anyway, long story short, I'm getting lined up. I'm getting a haircut. I have my eyes closed. I'm kind of relaxed, and all of a sudden I feel this weird feeling. Like it felt like he was putting his finger in my nose. And then what I realized was he'd actually shoved like a wax thing up my nose so he could pull my hairs out of my nose, Steve. Uh, with no regard to, I I wasn't asked. Uh, I was just thrust into a situation where we've all seen the videos, Steve. We've seen them on like a, a meme page. Somebody does this and they can't get it out or it's painful. I wasn't prepared for it. And this guy ripped these things out of my nose. And I swear to God, Steve, I saw relatives that have been dead for for decades. I saw I saw them, Steve. I saw my ancestors. <laughs> That's fine attention to detail. <laughs> I mean, I was I, I happy with the cut? Yeah. Was I not thrilled with the nostrils after the fact? Most definitely. But maybe just let me know what's going on. I was given no, you know, I was just kind of maxing, relaxing, Steve, honestly. I wasn't thinking about anything. Next thing I know, I'm thrust into a what I feel like is a do or die situation. This might become a meme. Yeah, I you mean, know? you low-key got assaulted because, I mean, <laughs> it, it was unannounced. And like you said, you were chilling, just in the cut. And then all of a sudden, you just getting invaded. Your nostrils, your your orifices. And the guy's, um, the guy's Israeli, too. So he's, but, like, very intimidating. Uh, and uh, 
Yeah, it was just, you know, I just thought it was funny. You know, I, I used to go to hair cuttery where the young Asian women would just kind of give me a shitty cut. Never really paid any attention to the beard. And uh, I appreciate a nice lineup, Steve, but goddamn. I could do coke. I, I, he took out coke I did when we were in college, Steve. I, something's gone. <laughs> Probably some Adderall in there, some computer dusters. <laughs> just, and, a, just a little nice I mean, mix. Like charcuterie, they they never do that, man. <laughs> charcuterie, I love this. I can't wait. I love this. Steve. <laughs> Char, like. Did he, did he get into your ears too? Cause I, man, I could no, use that. No, but get... he, there was more wax, Steve. Cause he did get this. He threw a little wax on here and fucking waxed me like a pussy, Steve. I was just, it was, I got the Brazilian up on my fucking fire or whatever, my unibrow. Oh, you, you, you had a little Anthony Davis action going on. It ain't, you oh. know, that dude's cultivating that. Mine's just, it, it could get bad, definitely, but. You know, I have my wife would never let Kendra would never allow that. Yeah, she can't have Bert that. And Ernie, this motherfucker. But I'm, yeah, you know, maybe to all those barbers out there, let her let her do no. You know, maybe we're not friends, but just let me know if you're gonna fucking just shove some hot wax into my fucking nose and just rip my maybe some of my brain out. I, I saw oh! I saw a light, Steve. Is that the sound you made? Oh! <laughs> I was trying not to be a bitch, but I wanted to be like, ah! Like Prince. <laughs> Prince. <laughs> like, dude, uh... dude. And then we went to Walmart, and this is just the last little bit. I, I'm not going to take too much time. And my where I live is in northern, northwestern Virginia. It's not filled with models. Let's put it like that. So we go into Walmart from time to time, really more as entertainment. We'll eat a couple edibles. We'll walk over there. We'll peruse the shelves, maybe get a couple of things. But then we'll people watch because it's it's a freak show, Steve. But in the midst of this freak show, we went to return something at Walmart. And, uh, you know, I'm hetero, pause this, whatever you want to say. But both me and Kendra both were at the fucking... Uh, whatever the self the customer service desk that all walmarts have trash everywhere huge fat uh baked potato women everywhere and this guy he looked like an egyptian supervillain from a movie we were like what is this guy doing here he was too handsome like something happened i want to know where what's going on here because this guy might be some be kind of sleep handsome <laughs> dude Something i'm telling up. you he's like that cool like whatever it is abu dhabi guy who's just it's all lined up square jaw he looks like somebody in a marvel movie you know what i'm saying and for some reason this sexy guy was fucking working in a walmart in northern virginia something happened steve it's, it's i want to know up. You gotta have some mystical power. You must be a wizard. It, it might it be like a fucking like he's out. He maybe he's fucking a spy. I don't know, Steve. I don't want to accuse a man of anything, but a guy this handsome, even the most hetero of anyone, would be like, "What are you doing here, dude? Like, get out of here. Get out of here before you this. Should, you're tarnished forever." You should be on Time Magazine, fellow. What the fuck are you doing in the middle of Virginia? He looked like a Middle Eastern Tony Stark, Steve. He had the whole shebang-a-bang, like the whole lined up beard and shit. I'm, I'm telling you, 
It was crazy. It, anyway. Was it as lined up as yours? I mean, yeah, so this guy had like the like that legit thick beard shit where, you know, mine's not impressive. This is fine. It's a beard. You know what? I, you I, know I, what I I'm talking iron, about. I, I bet the fucker didn't get his nose plucked, though. No. I, I, dude, I got tortured that day, Steve. I can take anything. Now I'm in... So, uh, you know, cut to now, uh, I'm running away with that Middle Eastern guy and I'm into BDSM. So here we are. Shit. Happened in the 90s. <laughs> you should have ran off with the one that got you brand new nostrils. Can I have your number? You tried uh. to sell me some Coke afterwards. I was like, buddy, that shit's going to go real quick with these nostrils now. Oh, 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 can, I, can I share something right quick that happened to me over the week? Uh, at, at my uh, gig number two at, at uh, the, oh, the Jeff Bezos I'm gonna bleep warehouse. that. I'm gonna bleep that. <laughs> y- yeah. So I had to fucking go to HR about a motherfucker. It was one of the managers because Steve don't play, and uh, you know they tried it. They tried it, and where they had me fucked up. Where where I, and I'm gonna say his name. I don't give no kind of fuck. If I'll be I got bleeping. You, I, I'll go to OnlyFans. <laughs> And sell pictures of my feet. Shit. But the motherfucker. Oh, I swear, no. you. I know you watch it. Look me in my fucking eye. Don't you ever come at me like that the way you did. And matter of fact, don't even talk to me. I told I told the HR, Matt. I told HR what happened, man. And I work my ass off. That's how I get down. I clock in and I go to work. And so this is at the end of the shift. I'm drenched in sweat. I, t- I had to take a break. Subai said I could take a break. I didn't put in that work. And so while I'm taking a break, motherfucker who got up when the sun got up, gonna come in and just tell me I need to help reset before I clock out. I'm like, dude, it took everything in me to got to not go full ethnic. And I just told him, hey man, uh, I'm just taking a break. Like, I swear to God, I, I wanna put my foot in his perennial. What do you call those? Oh yeah, season. that perennial area, Steve. The perennial. That little gooch. The perennial, uh, right in your fucking perennial. Son of a bitch. The only because a five dollar holla ain't hurt nobody. Hell no. Don't you ever in your fucking life talk to me like that? Ever in your fucking life, I will fucking destroy you. You you know, I like I get so pissed off that I'll fuck my words up. And a guy, like I was going through some shit in Los Angeles, hanging out with Jordan, and a motherfucker just said some bullshit, and I was already pissed off. And this motherfucker, and I just let it go on. He's talking, and I don't even know this dude, some random stranger. He's talking. Uh, so I finally blew up, and I said, "Yo, I'm, I'm gonna fucking break your heart." <laughs> I hate that, dude. I do that Talk. all the time when I get fucking fired up. It's like you can't. The people that can like be in a moment where you're caught up like that where you're you're in it whatever that is and can just voice be like fucking funny or trash somebody in the moment i suck at that because i'm i don't like it makes my skin crawl to like verbally fight with people i don't like to show my ass so when i'm in that moment i'm cognizant of that and i'm kind of embarrassed of it but I don't know. When you push my button like that, I, I get what you're saying. I've said really some dumb sounding shit. It's like, yeah. dude, I will fuck you. No, I, <gasps> fuck. Damn. <laughs> Mulligan. 
in your head you had it but yeah dude i've been there that's fucking sucks well bleeps galore right there steve we're gonna we're gonna bleep all that that guy's name out that you you're having a conflict with but fuck you you can eat a dick just like the rest of the world Sunday, look who's coming for Thanksgiving leftovers. I was simply asking if you would like to cut the turkey. Oh, I, I might as well. I just cut the cheese. In living color. I bet you like dog meat. Don't miss an all-new episode Sunday on Fox. So, hey, boys and girls, this is Steve G and Mad G with Happened in the 90s, the show where we talk about things that happened in the 90s. So get out your big league chew and your Lisa Frank folders, because everybody hurts sometimes. Mm. I'm talking about all things October 6th in the 90s, in our 90th episode. Can't believe that, Steve. Congra- congratulations to us. Shout out to us and our fans. Shout out to you guys. Keep listening. Man, our people. Uh, Let's start off in 1991. Uh, On the Major League Baseball Game of the Week on CBS, the Atlanta Braves cap off their worst of first season by defeating the Houston Astros to clinch their first divisional title in nine years. Uh, The previous year, 1990, the Atlanta Braves had the sixth best record in the division. And it's the first team in, in over 100 years of this league to go from the worst to the best. With Smoltzy there? With Smoltzy there? David Just? Let's dig her up, shall we? (laughs) Smoltz, you know, David Justice. Who was there, Steve? They they had Tom Glavin. They had John Smoltz. They had Steve Avery. They had uh, Otis Nixon. They had Mark Lemke. Deion Sanders, primetime. Tommy Gregg. Francisco Cabrera. Uh, I mean, Vinny Castilla. So they, they had some of the, the pieces, some of the pieces set for that eventual World Series in 95, man, uh, where they beat my damn Indians. But yeah, mm. shout out to the Braves, man. I wish the Steelers would go from worst to first this year, Steve. So maybe they can channel, maybe John Smoltz can be our quarterback. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, this is you know what this is, man. It's the smallest fucking harmonica. How dare you, Steve? For those Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Shut up, Steve. <laughs> Fuck you. But on that same day in 1991, New York Met David Cohn ties an NL record by striking out 19 Phillies because fuck the Phillies. Fucking Phillies! Oh, yeah, fuck Philly teams. Um, you know, Mets. Who was that one guy? What was the guy with the stash on the Mets? That's the guy I liked. From Seinfeld? Yeah. Stash. Keith Fernandez. There we go. That that Fernando, that Burt Reynolds stash. See, that's what we need to get back to, Steve, as a country. That. That stash. That's how you fucking... That's just the look, Steve. When it actually meant something. And not just, hey, I touch kids when the parents aren't around. Exactly. Or I'm a cop. Yeah. Hey, dude. I was rocking a stash for one. What are you trying to tell me? I looked like a fucking pedo? No, you're bringing that. it back, man. You're bringing it back. <laughs> oh, thank you. Awesome. You're, you're like, you're one of the few torchbearers. 
Yeah. I'm a tastemaker, Steve. It is what it is. I walk so everybody else can run, you know? Tastemaker and an ass eater. Mm. Uh, but in 1992, October 6th, R.E.M. releases Automatic for the People. And that album had Man on the Moon and Everybody Hurts. You know who I used to get R.E.M. fucked up with all the time back in the day? Live. Soft band? <laughs> okay, sounds about right. Yeah, I mean, I, shout out to Michael Stipe and like they got some tracks that I fuck with, but I like they're one of those bands I feel like I could beat all of their asses. Oh yeah, and but Michael Stipe, I think also what I liked about him is I think he has a sense of humor. Like he actually will, he's got he's in on the joke a little bit about that. You know, he gets it. We made pussy music, oh, but hey, it's all still, good. I bet I he was millions. just yeah, you say that, and he but he made mad money. And was Michael Stipe? I mean, I, getting his dick sucked by somebody. Oh, fuck he, a lot of that. I, whoever it was, I don't know. But male, female, whoever. Maybe both. Maybe it's a David Bowie situation. Some lot lizard. Uh, but also on that same day in 92, Common releases his debut album, Can I Borrow a Dollar? And this is Common in his original element, in his B-boy stance. Um, you know, it, it's a lot of that boom bap from the early 90s. And I didn't realize Common had already started. This is 92. That's wild. October 6th, man. Yeah, I mean, I didn't... <clears throat> Jordan got me into him in college. And then he had that album that he did with, like, Kanye, I think. B. Yeah, that shit was fire as fuck. So I kind of got it. Yeah. He had one called Electric Circus, I think, too. I think. I think that was the one uh, right before that. Be before B. Yeah, because that was my Neptunes era, and I think he had a Neptune song on that shit. Um, but dude, I've, I mean, mad respect to Common. He's been, it's crazy he's been around that long, and now dude's like a fucking movie star. It's, it's wild. Yeah, man. You gotta evolve. You got to. Uh, but in 1993, after nine seasons and three championships with the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan announces his retirement from the NBA. Now, obviously, he would return on March 18, 1995, which we covered uh, last year, uh, and he would lead the Bulls to three more championships. But when this happened, I felt like the sky was gray. Yeah, you didn't. It's like, why am I going to watch basketball anymore? Well, I, I guess I got to be a Barkley guy. I was. What year was this? 1993, after they beat the Suns. Uh, so this wasn't back. Shaq yet. Was Shaq in the league? Shaq, Shaq was going into his second season. Okay. So th this yeah. was that was my transition. I went from Michael Jordan to Shaq, you know? Yeah. I, I split time between the Suns and the Magic, and neither of them won. Yeah. <laughs> didn't fucking do it too much good. They got the Magic. Didn't they go to the finals like one year? But they got fucking trounced, I think. They got swept by the Rockets, and that was the year Jordan came back, but it was like half-assed Jordan. It was like, uh, it, it, this wasn't Jordan, Jordan quite yet, because he had, it was, he came back in uh, March. The season's are just about done, so it's like, all right, man, y'all, yeah, everybody got a head start. I'll come back and make sure y'all won't win shit, and he did. I That's, love that, that just, he's that good that they're like, okay. He just was like, you know what? Golf's kind of boring now. I've golfed every and done everything I wanted to do. It's March. I think I'm going to come back. <laughs> like, I'm yes. Jordan. Yes. I don't have to try out. 
I just, I, I, just I was so happy though, and dude, even when he was playing baseball and shit, I had a Jordan baseball fucking card. I was into it. You just wanted to. He would. It didn't matter. Like that whole baseball thing. He might not have been the best baseball player, but it's just wild to just see a dude that good at sports. Dude. It was so cool. And then he came back and won more championships, which is even more crazy. You know. No, nobody won on his watch. <laughs> But uh, in 1994, Martin is airing the season three, episode six episode, The Closer I Get to You. Martin becomes the love doctor when he is asked to substitute on a TV talk show, but his advice creates some unexpected consequences for Tommy and Pam. And this may be this. I mean, I've said it. I've gone on record, Steve. This might be one of the most perfect episodes of comedic television of all time. Just for that one slot for you. It had its moments throughout. But the I'll, when we get to it, the like Gina and Martin at the end of this, when everything's culminating, their back and forth is perfect. It's hilarious. And I, it's one of the most memorable scenes of television in my life, for sure. So I was so excited when it came up to talk about. It, it was kind of like they were patronizing them. Uh, but... Uh, we start the episode off uh, in Martin's apartment, as usual, and Martin is getting prepared for his first show as a producer at his recently hired job at the TV station. And uh, he's kind of stressing himself out about it. And Gina's trying to calm him down like, man, babe, you got this. You the dude, you the man. You, you say it in your intro. You the man. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and he's like, but you know what? You're right. I'm, I'm going to be that dude. And maybe one day Fox... Well, give me my own show. And then he does like one of those uh, breaking the, for- the fourth wall deals. Yep. Uh, nah, they ain't ready for all that. And he's right. We weren't. No. <laughs> and uh, then we cut to the show. Because, you know, before Martin's been a DJ, he's had some other jobs. He tried to sell t-shirts with Hustle Man. Um, but uh, now he's working at this uh, TV station. And he was just like a PA. But now, like you said, this is his first producing gig and he's waiting. They're kind of getting ready. And all of a sudden the cops come in. They're backstage. The cops come in. They arrest the host of the show, Dr. Dr. Trickle. Dr. Yeah. And they're arresting him for what, Steve? Polygamy. Polygamy. They're taking him out. Martin's like, damn, you're making a lot of house calls, doc. And they just take his. Three continents. (laughs) Yeah, dude. So he was getting some pussy. But now he's going to jail. So who who's gonna fill in? Uh, the lady, like the head lady at the TV station's, like, you know what, Martin, you've been on air before. You're gonna be the nude love doctor. Battlefield promotion. You're going on air live TV right now, which is crazy. Right but about now, man, PM. Steve. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, and basically, Martin starts the show. Uh, he's talking to the bookers. And basically, this is like a mix of uh, some sort of like, it's like Sally Jesse, basically. There's some love, there's some fighting, you know, whatnot. The bookers are having some issues. The wife's and, and I pissed wanna, off. I, Sorry, go I, I, ahead. Yeah, yeah, I want to know, Mrs. Booker is played by Elia, uh, Elian, Elia English, who is a veteran comedic actress. 
Uh, she was the aunt in the Jamie Foxx show, amongst other things. And Mr. Booker is played by Jairus Poindexter. Uh, and he's another comedic actor. Uh, I, I remember seeing him on Fresh Prince and a lot of like black sitcoms from the 90s. But go ahead. But they're fighting, Steve. The wife's pissed off at Mr. Booker because uh, from what she says, he's literally fucked every woman she's related to. She hates him. She thinks yeah. he's a lying, cheating, no good, two-faced bum. And she doesn't want any parts of him. And Mr. Booker says, that's why I'm sleeping with your girlfriend. And I'm sleeping with your cousins. All of them. And then she comes at him with a shoe. And uh, this is another hilarious moment. Because he's like, sister, put the shoe down. Put the shoe down. He's very, like, inspirational speaker. You know, he's got, like, that... uh Deaf poetry jam cadence to him. Uh, I was thinking more uh, Geraldo Herrera. What's that fucker's name? Uh, I don't Geraldo. like his mustache. Put the shoe down. You gotta yeah. love. But he's a love doctor, Steve. So he he gets in between them. He freestyles like this. His his mantra becomes like, "You gotta be friends first and immediately that gets him he gets the applause so he just yeah. starts rolling with that shit be friends and be real and everything else will work itself out love and Words labor go hand in hand steve <laughs> one in the pink uh <laughs> now later that day uh, after the show's recording everything, uh, Martin shows up at Nipsey's, the local hangout, and he gets a round of applause upon entrance. Uh, and one of the waitresses, uh, Tracy, is played by the delicious Kalita Smith. And uh, just everybody's filling Martin. Everyone's buying into the whole love doctor persona, except for Pam. She's just like, yeah, it was I. <laughs> she just is like gnawing on the fucking wing. I think it's like wing night or so. Everybody's eating some yeah. fucking wings there. Um, and she's chomping on those wings. Yeah. And she's got a date uh, with somebody that she's got to get to. But yeah, everybody wants a piece of the love doctor now, Steve. So now it's advice time. I mean, Martin just wants to get some wings, get, get a little pussy. But you know what? He's going to help out some people. So first Cole comes over and he's like, yo, man, Big Shirley's been fucking gaining a little weight. What do I do? And Martin's like, you know what? Love Doctor says, lock the fridge up, put a little padlock on it. And her fat little kid shouldn't be eating whole chickens. <laughs> so, you know. Three-year-old. <laughs> so he hooks up that. That's Cole's advice. Uh, and then Tommy comes over and he's like, man, I just can't, you know, I just fall in love with a woman and she leaves me. And then I'm back in the club. What do I do? And he's like, you know what? What, what was his friend? Was it the, what did he say? You just got to be real or some shit. He's like, you know what? Uh -oh. Tell whoever. Because uh, Tommy's like, you know what? There is a girl that I am kind of into, but he doesn't yeah. say who it is. And Martin's like, you know what, man? Just tell her, man. Tell her, man. <laughs> so the, the seeds are planted, Steve. I, we don't know who Tommy's into yet, but uh, he's having some lady issues. And he's at this point really kind of pathetic. Honestly. I, I think the the television audience at this point could put two and two together and uh you know he he's feeling pam and before tommy has a chance to tell her how he feels uh she has to skedaddle uh, for a date she has that night and now tommy's just sitting there at the bar and looking pathetic like me when i lived in houston 
once too many times. <laughs> and uh, Gina, she she urges Martin to invite Tommy over, man. Let, let's keep him company. Let's consult. That, you, that's your bro. Be there for him. You know, he's over there just staring at flies on the wall. So uh, before they leave, Nipsey asks for advice. And Martin just gives him some simple-ass growing pain shit. He just said, two and two. It takes two to tango. And then he just dips out. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I mean, that works, though. You know, but then, you know, the love doctor, really, Steve, he wanted to, get, he wanted to do a little loving himself, you know. Yeah. But he reluctantly agrees to take Tommy back. They go back to the crib. And we cut to basically what, however long it is. You know, Gina and Martin are on one side of the couch. Tommy's, like, curled up, like, with some popcorn. And the vibe's fucked up, Steve. I mean, we could, well, you could, he could, you should be able to feel that kind of heat coming off of that. You know, they didn't want him there anymore. Well, yeah, he overstayed his welcome, but some people can't. I feel like I've been guilty of that, and I didn't catch on until later. It's like, oh, they're trying to fuck, mm. and I need to leave. I need to walk out that door so they can fuck, or at least <laughs> get prepared for the next day. Um, but yeah, he's totally not getting it. And Pam knocks on the door. And she comes in to complain about her date. And this is music to Tommy's ears. Yeah. And uh, so he offers up a ride. Uh, <laughs> Martin's initially, he's, he's concerned for his buddy. Because he's like, man, she hasn't been with a man in months. Do you want some mace? Yeah. <laughs> you need to protect Make sure yourself. she got her rabies shot. Uh, <laughs> so Tommy, they get back to her, her, uh, Pam's place. And instantly. Tommy just lays the Mac down to the point where they start making out. And he motherfucking groom sweeps her off her feet and carries her into the boudoir. I mean, Tommy, rest in peace, was a big man. Like, this dude is a giant anyway. Awesome. And Pam is just a little tight little snack of a woman, Steve. I mean, he got to live the dream, even if they're acting. Just Damn. this was enough. Titties. I won't eat it. All that. All oh, dude. Pam Pam's to this to Sheena. If you can we're we're gentlemen. You're fabulous. Uh I but mean. anyway, yeah, so Tommy lives every man's dream, tells somebody he's mad into that he's into her, and then gets the bang that night. Um we cut to the next day, and it's that little awkward your first time you fuck, like, oh what's up? And you're being cute. Tommy gets out. But before he gets out, like, he's about to leave. And Pam's like, didn't you forget something? And he turns around thinking, obviously, that she wants a kiss. And she's like, bruh, I'm talking about halvesies on that headboard you broke last night. So uh, Tommy was putting it in, Steve. They were getting that. <laughs> he was do he was going yeah. that Bing Rames fucking baby boy fucking that was going on in that movie, Steve. That froggy style shit. And, and they also made a pact to not let anyone know. This is mm. a, no one has to know. Yeah, and, not uh, yet. You know, not yet. Especially <laughs> Pam or especially Gina and Martin. Yeah, they don't need to know yet. But you know, they can't hide it, Steve. We cut to Martin and Gina's. We're at the apartment, and they're anticipating uh, Tommy and Pam to arrive. I, they're supposed to go out together. Um, it's supposed to be a double date. And, you know, while Martin's in the bathroom, uh, Gina, she's in the living room and Tommy and Pam, they show up at the same time. And, you know, Spidey sense somewhat tingled 
Somewhat. Uh, she was on Somewhat. it in like five seconds. Like they walk in, well, they do one thing, and then Gina's like. Be- before that, though, like, you know, she she's talking to him and like while she's got her back turned, they're kind of like kidding around and, you know, she turns around and they're like, oh, and then so she continues talking and then she just stops dead in her tracks like fucking Jessica Fletcher. She just figured that shit out, like you said. And uh, now that she knows she has to tell Martin. Oh, <laughs> I mean, and I mean, she's going to. There's no stopping what's about to happen. Pam, Tommy, they're like, no, f- don't. No, please don't tell him, please. Anybody Martin's still him. shit. I mean, he's taking a shit. Luckily, it hasn't happened yet. But then Martin comes out and Gina does it just immediately. He lets her, he lets, she lets Martin fucking uh, find out. She throws him on. She she just lets it all happen, you know. She doesn't immediately just acknowledge it. She lets the train wreck happen, which is perfect. Yeah, and but she she allows Tommy the honor, and but before Tommy breaks the news to Martin, Gina's like, "Hold on, I got to get a camera for this. This is gonna be special." Because <clears throat> the other uh, thing is, Steve, yeah. like Martin's, he's feeling himself too much about this love doctor shit too. Like he is doing yeah. well, but he's feeling himself. So like, it's like, all right, dude, we get it. And uh, so Gina goes to get the camera and Martin's like, uh, or Tommy says something like, hey man, like that advice you gave me really worked. And Martin's like, oh, that's fantastic. You told her that's, I want to meet her, man. I want to yeah. meet her. So like, but at some point he uh, shits on Pam and Tommy's like, yo, dude, you can't step the fuck back. Well, you need to what, watch your mouth. Yeah, because uh, th- one of them said that this is going to be a double date. And Martin says, no, it's not. It, it's, oh, Gina said that. And he's like, nah, it's, it's going to be me, you, Tommy, and Marmaduke. <laughs> and, and then like that's when Tommy steps in. He's like, hey, man, no, no more put downs. And Martin and, and Gina were like, whoa, we got ourselves a badass. Whoa, slow down, player. Don't and kill this us. is where it starts, Steve, because Gina and Martin, Mar- Gina's like watching Martin have this reaction. And she's, he's like, oh, damn, Tommy's fucking manning up. And she's like, yeah, yeah. And so he keeps going. He's like, yo, man, like, who's this chick? Who's this chick that you're into? And he's like, yeah, the chick, it's Pam. and the reaction all of it's fucking funny as shit dude but that that three minutes of tv right there steve in the apartment when he finds out uh, there's one other moment in martin that matches this and it's when uh martin gets his disc man stolen and he does the nino brown interrogation shit that's right up there but dude i watched it again i might have seen this episode because in my life, I probably pointed this one episode out to hundreds of people. Not that might be an exaggeration, but I've watched this episode more than any Martin, and it's still fucking hilarious. I mean, he's uh, back in the day. He he was one of the best physical actors, like physical comedic actors. Yeah, him and Jim Carrey. I really just like. <clears throat> toe to toe but this episode for sure is it just up there in martin lore and just in tv in general but this isn't the end 
I, f- I thought for some reason it cut right here and they just like did like maybe continued it but no he screams they it's like a repeat thing and it's fucking hilarious and then we cut to just you know he's come to everyone's he might have passed out he got overwhelmed his um, bubble is busted <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't want to be the love doctor anymore steve it's gone bad but to add to that cole knocks on the door and he comes in and he is looking fucked up Steve. he looks like he got hit by a car but turns out that car was actually big shirley because after using doing martin's advice and she came down on me she came down on him she kicked his ass <laughs> and he's like oh fuck i should have never done this love doctor shit stupid me stupid martin Payne." but then nipsey arrives which rarely happens you never see nipsey show up at martin's place but nipsey pops up he's like hey martin i took your advice and he comes in with pina and colada <laughs> All hey. from that simple advice. It takes two to tango. And then, like, he took that it verbatim. And he rolled with it, Steve. And you know what? This, you know, he might have been two for one, but that one got two. So that equals out. Love doctor back in the his house. He's back, Steve. He's like, you know what? Fuck all that. I'm the love doctor. Yeah. Hey. Clear my line. <laughs> Pina and Colada, Steve. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen in a couple days, but that night, dude, Nipsey had himself a party. Man, room smelling like tuna casserole. Uh, But that following year, 1995, Assassins premiered in theaters. Professional hitman Robert Roth wants to fulfill a few more contracts before retiring, but unscrupulous ambitions, newcomer hitman, Miguel Bain keeps killing Wrath's targets. Directed by Richard Donner, starring Sylvester Stallone, Antonio Banderas, and Julianne Moore. I feel like, have you seen this? I actually did. It's uh, available on HBO Max, and it's high. Um, yeah, it's, you, it's you a good it. 90s action movie, you know? Stallone. Yeah. This was when Stallone had, like, they. this was, like, stylized a little bit. Everybody wore suits, you know? It was a little more fast paced. There really wasn't that much of a story. What you read is really what you got. It was a lot of like guns, you know, bullets tearing apart walls and fucking, I think there was like a fight in a cemetery and they were shooting like at like tombstone, you know, but young Banderas looking sexy. You still got a fucking Stallone that's not in his prime, but he's not looking crazy yet. He's just looking like yoked up and pretty, you know, tango and cash Stallone. <laughs> My friend, I have come to kill your target. Fuck you. Target. Take the cotton balls him, out of your mouth, my friend. They gave him 15 million for that movie. That's what I don't get about night. This is why, like, it doesn't make sense, like, the cost of a movie because. Whatever the mathematics they were using in Hollywood, it just became a point, like, in the 90s, I remember specifically, and maybe it was before this, but, like, remember when, after that initial, like, push for Jim Carrey, it was like, he's getting 50 million a movie. Will Smith's making 80 mil a movie. It's just like, is it, I guess it's worth it, but god damn, you gotta have a lot of money to get these guys in it. It's crazy. Numbers don't lie, Matt. Yeah. And, uh... 
I feel like Sylvester Stallone, he created that name. That sounded like a creation. I'm going to call myself Robert Raff. I wouldn't be surprised. W. I've never looked into that. You know, Hulk Hogan's Terry Balea, maybe Sylvester Stallone's fucking John Finnegan or some shit, you know? Robert Raff. That sounds that does sound dumb. No, that's that's cool, Steve. Fuck you. Robert Raff? Come Without on. Without the W. Uh, but on that same day in 95, Strange Days premiered in theaters. A former cop turned street hustler accidentally uncovers a conspiracy in Los Angeles in 1999. Directed by Catherine Bigelow, starring Ralph Fiennes, Angela Bastet, Juliette Lewis, Tom Sizemore, and Vincent D'Onofrio. We talk about that Sizemore quite often lately. I mean, he's a 90s guy. We're going to talk about him a lot because, I mean, after... Even before Saving Private Ryan, if you think about all those uh, Oliver Stone movies, he was in like Natural Born Killers. Uh, I'm sure he's in other ones. I just can't think of uh, too. But dude was killing it in the '90s. Maybe that's why, you know, maybe he had some issues in the 2000s because all that blow Caney was able to afford after uh, you know, all those movie parts. And uh, Vincent D'Onofrio has always been killing it. I mean, same as I guess Ralph Fiennes and Angela Bassett. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of hitters in this one. I, I, I've never seen it, but it's I'm sure it's pretty good with everybody that's in it. Dude, it's gotta be man. Vincent D'Onofrio. I watched this movie. I tried to watch all of it. I just I couldn't. But uh, remember that movie, The Cell? I remember it, but I didn't watch it. They like go inside a killer's brain, and it's like virtual reality kind of. But Vincent D'Onofrio is like a serial killer, and it in when they go in he's like a god in it it's all very like visual it's fucking crazy but uh yeah vincent d'onofrio i mean he's in uh marvel movies now i just saw him in a marvel thing the other day he he's kind of like um the 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 guy from hellboy yeah ron pearl yeah yeah he has a look that makes yeah you should be in some kind of comic book or like it's great you know when I mean? you're ugly and you can act. You know, like a, that, that a Philip That's... Seymour Hoffman or... A, I, I apologize, Paul Giamatti. You might not agree with this, but a Paul Giamatti. Where it's like, you're not... It, like, there's a fucking million handsome guys in Hollywood yeah. that are just handsome. But you gotta be able to act if you're ugly. So, you know, D'Onofrio obviously can. And he's done That's it. That's the least. Yeah. Clint Howard, maybe a little less, but he's so ugly that they just put him in stuff. They're like, we have to film this. Hey, be ugly in this setting. <laughs> and and that's your, we'll name your character whatever the fuck. Just do that. If the movie Ice Cream Man ever comes up like in our list, we should watch it because it's one of the fun. They just literally hired Clint Howard and were like, you know what? You're so ugly that this isn't going to work. You're going to scoop people to death. <laughs> We should watch. Also, I want to watch that and Strange Days and also uh, To Die For, which also came out in 1995. And To Die For is a beautiful but naive aspiring television personality uh, that films a documentary on teenagers with a darker ulterior motive. Directed by Gus Van Zandt, starring Nicole Kidman, Matt Dillon, Joaquin Phoenix, and Casey Affleck. Um, This seems like a great movie that's not available on any streams. Gus Van Zandt, I don't know, dude. It's hit or miss. Because sometimes it'll be good, but like he made a movie called like Elephant or Bully, or there was one where it was like sort of like Columbine esque. 
that I remember. He makes a lot of fucking weird shit, but he's art house. Yeah, for sure. Definitely that. Hate it. You know what? I take that back. To Die For is available on Stars and Amazon. But I don't have Stars, dude. Stars has like all the shit I want to watch, but I have too many apps now. I can't afford another fucking app. They, they don't outweigh the things that HBO Max and Hulu provide. You yeah. have some things I want to watch, but you don't have enough. Uh, but in 1996, New York Jet Nick Lowry ties Jen Stenneru with 373 NFL field goals. Um, I've never heard of Nick Lowry uh, because <laughs> upon research, he played for teams at their shittiest. Uh, he, <laughs> well he's a field uh, goal kicker i mean he needs to be fucking he's the only thing that works yeah man i mean like i said he played for the jets in the 90s uh and then i think most of his career he played for the chefs uh throughout Ooh. the 80s and mm. i couldn't tell you one fucking player who played for the chefs in the 80s not one i couldn't maybe there's an nfl commentator that we're not like a you know like a stink somebody like that Mike Golick might have played for the Chiefs for like a year or sometime. I, I remember Montana played for the, the Chiefs, but that was in the 90s. Um, but yeah, Bankhead bounced for Nick Lowry. Uh, but in 1997, Johnny Vandermeer, American baseball player and manager, born in 1914, passes away. Sounds like a billionaire, like some sort of like the Rockefellers. The Vandermeers. The <laughs> or that's, you could say it. That's yeah. oil money. I mean, it, it can sound prestigious, but I could also see in it being podunk and uh, very uh, clamp it. Go both ways. We're the Vandermeers. <laughs> yeah, okay. Now that you say it like that, I can see that. But he, he managed the Cincinnati Reds from 1937 to 1943 and 1946 to 1949. And he coached the Cleveland Indians in 1951. Um, he was a World Series champion. He was a all-star for four times. Uh, he was an NL strikeout leader. And uh, he pitched two straight no-hitters all that other yeah, stuff man. i don't know but um when did he fucking die october 6 1997 god damn this motherfucker was living his life he was a fucking baseball player through the 50s and still made it into the late yeah. 90s i bet he was just a ty cobb son of a bitch dude though yeah no like he's he's gonna say some inflammatory shit he's probably just gonna like get just get irritated pretty easily, you know? And, and I misspoke. I think I said <laughs> he managed those teams. He was on those teams. Um, That's but yeah, it, when you're doing big boy shit like that, you can wear your name with prestige, man. Bankhead oh, bounce yeah. for Johnny Vandermeer. <laughs> Vandermeer. Uh, but in, in 1998, Cypress Hale releases their album, Four. And I played a little bit of it before we recorded, man. And it's Sin Dog, Be Real, in their element, man. Two real MCs. And um, I feel like they're an example of you just, you never lose the formula. When you got it, you got it. You, and you're going to continue to have it, man. They still have it. They still have it. They still got it. 
Cypress Hill also uh, famously, uh, that guy Blue tried to steal that seed, that one CD from me in front stoned of us. Stoned Raiders. <laughs> he tried to steal your Stoned Raiders fucking... No, it was me and Jordan, because uh, you were at work, per use, around that time of the day. And motherfucker, we had just got done smoking uh, some of our weed, because he never had any. Yeah, I was about and to say. so he just... <laughs> He just casually strolls out like, all right, man, I'll holler at y'all. And then he digs into your jacket pocket to st- to take your Stone Raiders Cypress Hill CD. And like, he's big as fuck. He could like one haymaker and we'd lose teeth, me and Jordan at the same <laughs> yeah, time. Dude. But like, dude, you like this is right in front of us. Like both <laughs> of us had, like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you can't, that, that, that's not good. No, no, Blue, don't, don't do that. I mean, that was the vibe, though. That was the vibe all the time because he was big as fuck. You couldn't. It was like you got into. He was Debo, basically. (laughs) Like, what are you going to do? Fight him? Good luck. Yeah. Wasn't he a fucking football player or like trying? He was on the team. He was on the team. Because I didn't follow the Falcons uh, around this time. And I just knowing Urban Meyer, like the success he's had, it's like, dude, I really don't think he trusted his team with this motherfucker on the field in key times of the game or at all. tried to steal one of the Gatorade fucking jugs mid-game. You don't know. <laughs> but the fucked up thing, even more so fucked up, his response when me and Jordan called him out was so bruh, man. He was just kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, you right. I shouldn't do that. Like you totally shouldn't take other people's stuff, Blue. You you're right. That's so wrong. Please, I hope I never see you again in our dorm room. Uh, and I, I don't think he lasted uh, a, like a full year. I no, think he was gone. No, yeah. something happened. I mean, he definitely smoked a lot of our weed, though. So I mean, salute to that you could doing that, pulling a dude. He, and he was like Snoop Dogg and half baked. You'd be like. At a certain point, I think we were, like, trying to, like, avoid it. Because we were like, uh, we can't have this guy fucking power hitting this fucking weed. And he'd pop up. You'd be like, and then here's Blue fucking, (laughs) like, what the fuck? Oh, can I, let me hit that shit. (laughs) Okay. And, like, considering the fact he can whip all of our asses (laughs) with one roundhouse, um, you know, uh, sure, (laughs) smoke a weed with us, man. He never contributed. Yeah, I, I always got this feeling that. that, like, yeah, as long as he's hanging out with us, <clears throat> nobody's gonna fuck with us. But what about the day he fucks with us? Yeah, well, that was always the feeling. Like in the back of my mind, like, man, what if he just goes complete rogue or complete blue? It's just like he wants to be on some bullshit. He would have knocked my fat ass out. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, ass out on oh. the ground. So. He would have whipped all of our asses, man. <laughs> all of ours. Uh, but on that same day in 1998, Prize from the infamous Fuji's releases his album, Ghetto Superstar. That is what you got. I just, I, I care about Maya more than this album. I'm going to be all the way real with you. Prize was probably, he was the Ringo of the Fuji's. I mean, you know, Lauren Hill broke records and made big noise. Why Clef? He's been around and has like dibbled and down. He was like running for president in Haiti. And Praz is just, yeah, I'm, I'm the third guy. You, wasn't there some weirdness with Praz too? Like, didn't he go through some like really tough times, if I if yeah. I remember correctly? Yeah, he, I think he was uh, 
messing with the narcotic here and there, you know, dibbling and dabbling. A <laughs> couple of things. Sugar. Little here, yeah. little there. Yeah, I, I get it. But yeah, I think I everything you said, I second. He was just, you know, he's part of a great group. And did I check out his uh, his little solo act? No, no, I wasn't there. But, you know, shout out Proz. I hope you're doing all right. <laughs> shout out to Maya and her sweet pink. Give me a hell yeah! And yeah. also in 1998, her sweet back ten, her, I bet it's sweet. It, oh man, I, I bet it smells like tulips and dude. Uh, that's patina. honestly that if you put me on Crushgasm again, she would definitely be up there because she. There was like a time in the I don't remember what the era was, but man, those videos it was almost bustable too. Like if you were in the right mood, you could definitely get one out. Oh, man, without even touching. Uh, But also in 1998, MAC-10 releases his album, The Recipe. And I feel like MAC-10 doesn't get enough props because his uh, time in in the limelight was kind of short-lived compared to his peers. But, uh, dude, he was a part of that West Side Connection with Dub C and Don Mega. Yeah, dude. He has a song called Faux Life that's fucking dope as shit, too. He was fucking great. See, again, yeah. he's a put West Side Connection together. It's the same thing as Cypress Hill. It's going to come. It's a banger. They had one. I mean, we were in college, but they had there was a West Side Connection album that came out that was sick as fuck. And I mean, we were in our 20s for sure. Oh, they probably still have another one. It's the one that has uh <clears throat> made marion it's the guy he narrates a lot of it uh i feel like it's bow down maybe um i mean that's the one i mean that's there's a like bunch their, I, i'm just yeah. saying fucking west side connection i think you when i think of mac 10 that's what i think of i don't think of a lot of his solo shit but he's he's a fucking he's good i'll throw a good couple of workout that song full life is a fucking great workout song and it's got Ice Cube in it, so. Oh, can't go wrong. Uh, but speaking of underrated, undercredited MCs, also in 98, Corrupt releases his debut studio album, Corruption, released by uh, Antra Records. It peaked at number eight on the Billboard 200. And, um, you know, when, when Marshall Mathers gives you a shout out on his list of favorite MCs of all time, you're doing something right. I mean, he's been on many fucking Snoop Dogg songs. Um, he has a great weed product called uh, Moon Rocks that's insane. Uh, so I've known more corrupt more for weed related shit. I don't necessarily think of, I haven't listened to a lot of his shit, but everything that he's but, always on as in like as a feature on a Snoop song is fucking dope. I mean, the shit that you heard him on, yeah, he he delivers, man. Um, I mean, and then Dog Pound, I that was one of the first CDs I bought uh, for my disc, man. And uh, that is a classic from beginning to end, man. Oh, yeah. Um, but in 1999, October 6th, Norm Show, starring Norm MacDonald, they're airing the season two, episode three, uh, Artie Comes to Town. In order to impress Shelly, Norm tries to get a bunch of toys for the orphan toy donation box Shelly is trying to collect for. Helping him out is his brother, who has just come to town, played by Artie Lang. Shout out Artie Lang, shout out Norm. This show, I honestly, upon watching this, I didn't remember how good of a show this was. 
It's um, yeah. it's fucking funny as fuck. It has Artie Lang in it, which you can't lose. Um, now we need to get a little like reference here because I didn't even re- I don't know this, but I I think I kind of remember it. Norm is working in an office, Steve, and it's social do- service, and he's doing uh, community service, like he's on probation or something, right? Something in that nature, yeah. yeah. But he's so he's working in a it's an office, but it's social services. I was trying to think what it was. Um, and he's a former he's a retired hockey player. Yeah, <laughs> but his his office is filled with 80s and 90s uh, actors. His boss is the dad from Alf. Alf. Max Wright. Alf. <laughs> I don't want to do this. Um, and the fat bald guy I've seen and shit, but I don't remember what it was from. I always think of the Drew Carey episode because he was a uh, on Drew Carey before this show, and they did a full Monty uh, like spoofed episode. I remember and that. It, his line was always, "You want to see what I bring to the table." And his back is turned like towards the camera, and like he, all you can see is the person's reaction. That's like, you know, seeing him whip out his junk. It's like um, boogie nights. It, it, yeah, exactly. You just see the reactions, man. And that's Ian Gomez, and uh, also uh, Nikki Cox. And you know, you're gonna take back what you said about redheads. I, I'm gonna prove to you that redheads are some beautiful human beings, man. My my roommate, I, it, man, I swear, he knows what you look like. He's a redhead. And you know he will fuck you up, man. Don't, don't like you take back what you said about redheads, because Nikki. Cox, I mean, I'm not. That's what's he gonna do? Is, it, don't it, touch it, me, because I don't want that. But see, see, <laughs> that, that, you, there you go, man. There you go. But Nikki Cox, I don't think she's a natural redhead, Steve. So you might be talking out of turn, because I think Nikki Cox is blonde, Steve. I think she's oh, a blonde. Really? Yeah. Do we have receipts? Yeah, I Matt? do. Let me go. There let me go, go call my contacts in Hollywood and ask them what fucking color Nikki Cox's bush is, real quick. Okay. I shit, I, I don't go in until midnight. I got time. Hey, hey, Hollywood. What colors are bush? It's blonde, Steve. We're done here. <laughs> she didn't have them on speaker, but it's something to note that I found somewhat interesting. Nikki Cox and Ian Gomez—they're the only ones who have different names for their characters. Uh, Max Wright, his character's name is Max. Uh, Artie Lang, his character's name Artie. Lori Metcalf from Roseanne fame and other shit. Her name's Lori, and Norm McDonald's name is Norm. This I feel like that's such a Norm meta move. Honestly, you want to know what I think it is, Steve? As somebody who's written scripts before, the naming process is such a stupid thing to waste time on. I always name them either people I know or the people that I'm writing. Like I wrote the part for, if that's the case. Mm. It cuts time. It's stupid because you'll sit there and go, what are we going to call this person? Chris, Michael. It's like, this doesn't matter, right? What are we going to, what is he going to do? Well, then we can figure out what his fucking name is. I I feel like they do serve a purpose. If you're trying to convey a certain uh, characteristic of the character, maybe, uh, you know, Um, but I, because I, I feel like the, those specific actors and actress, they're basically playing themselves. Like Lori Metcalf was like Lori on the show. M- Max Wright is like, he's the same guy that he was in ALF, but he's just in the office with Norm <laughs> McDonald and, uh, the guy from Drew Carey show. Can I get, um, can I bet you what happened? They, all the people whose names are their names 
were signed on to the show and the people who weren't named after like their name they probably were not the first selection for whatever that character was you know what i mean those two seem like the most replaceable parts of this cast and i'm sure they were like hmm whatever guy maybe it could be this guy or this guy so you know i'm just i'm guessing but that seems to make sense because Lori Metcalf is top billing. So it's like, yeah, she she's not no replacement substitute. Oh, put me in, coach. She's so uh, fucking funny, dude. I'm watching all this stuff. It's really apparent that uh, she is a, a, just a really fucking good actress. I mean, she was even she was in something recently where it was dramatic, too, wasn't she? She was in a lot of stuff, man. Um, yeah. She was also in, uh, she had a brief, brief stint on SNL in uh, one of the not so great oh, wow. seasons, man. Uh, uh, she was in those early 80s casts. But um, uh, this is a, a normal thing for the Norm show. Uh, Norm, he introduces the show. He kind of describes uh, the, the synopsis of it. And he says, uh, we'll be meeting his big loser half-brother, Artie. And uh, he's also saying that there's going to be some kind of nasty shit going on and uh, there's going to be a Pokemon open. And so we go to the intro theme song and Norm is talking to a kid in the office who thinks he's Ash from Pokemon. Uh, and then we go to some Pokemon cosplay with the rest of the cast. Ian Gomez, Lori Metcalf, Max Wright, Nikki Cox and uh, Nikki Cox. She's fine. Do you know what's crazy about Nikki Cox, Steve? She was married to Bobcat Goldthwaite for years from unhappily ever after that's i believe that's how they met yeah and I, listen that's not saying anything to bobcat goldthwaite i mean the guy's fa- uh famous he's funny he's a good he's really good at directing but not the looker you know you look at nikki cox and you're thinking maybe a, a fucking jason momoa type bobcat you goldthwaite think. you know but that shows you maybe nikki cox is really just a nice lady that's into the personality steve she's a maybe unicorn she saw what he brought to the table or he's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like a mule. I'm, 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 I'm like an elephant with a horse. <laughs> and um, Pika, the Pikachu character is performed by Ed Gale, who is, uh, he's a veteran little guy actor. He's been in some stuff that you've seen. Um, but very weird. I, I feel like they predated that whole Pokemon phase that happened in the 2010s. And it's really like, I mean, they went for it. It's not like they're they, they're just making fun of it. Like they have the characters, they have the look of like the cartoon that I remember with like the crazy Japanese like graphics behind them and shit. Yeah. It was funny, but it, it's weird. It's a lot of these shows back then, this is late nineties. They would have like this little like soft opening almost. Martin used to do that too early on where he'd be like, Hey, what's up? This is the, you know, this is what's happening in the episode basically. Um, yeah, but it was cool. I thought that was, shit was funny, actually. That that was, I guess, his his Seinfeld because you know how Seinfeld always starts off with a stand up bit. Yeah. So like Norm, he always has to have his own unique thing to separate himself from the rest. Hell yeah! Uh, but uh, we're uh, Lori and Norm are at his place going through Norm's financial records until there's a knock on the door. And it's his handicapped neighbor, who he calls Lazy. And um, apparently, Norm pledged $5 for a mile at some charity walk. Um, and the lady, she walked uh, 26 miles. Um, but all Norm has for her is $10. Uh, so now he's flat broke. And we cut back to the office. Uh, and 
you know, we find out that there's going to be some kind of toy donation. Yeah, and uh, Norm's boss is, again, it's Alf's da- It's the dad from Alf. He's playing a boss. Um, he's aloof. Uh, Lori uh-huh. Metcalf is having some kind of toy donation, but I think we he forgot about it and then realizes he forgot about it um, yeah. and just basically agrees to let them have like a little party in the office because he's... He doesn't know what's going on. Oh, oh, he always sounds like he's mid shit. It's very weird. Oh, it's very. Why did you blow up the attic, Alf? He's having Alf flashbacks. Um, <clears throat> so Norm, he tells his co-workers about his brother before they get to meet him. Uh, and just telling him like how he's been like this loser his whole life he just he just couldn't cut it and whatever it was uh and then eventually Artie walks in and i believe this is his first episode on the show yeah it is i think i in uh, imdb i think it said that and Artie lang i knew him from howard stern i didn't really know him from this i i'm lying i knew him from mad tv first Mad tv yeah <clears throat> and he was always funny on mad tv he's just like you know funny fat dude um, he's has great stories. He was always my favorite part of Howard Stern. The part when I was really into Howard Stern, it was really because of him. Um, mm. and he's had a lot of issues. He's that's the he's other still thing. with us, man. Yeah, he's like Jake the Snake of stand up. He's got fucking 10 lives because he's tried to kill himself, do drugs to do, you know, every I think his nose collapsed because he had he did so much fucking blow. I didn't even know that was possible. I think what he said happened was uh, somebody like broke some glass into the bag, like or something. So he snorted the coke, and but glass went up there, and it just like unzipped the inside of his nose. Oh! And he already had no fucking nose because he'd been doing cocaine for every you know his whole fucking life, basically. But funny, really, uh, he has a great book too um, that's full of his stories. And just one funny story he told on uh, or, or on uh, Howard Stern that I always remember was um, they did a Baywatch parody, and this was at like the height of his coke addiction, and they were in L.A. Um, but the Baywatch parody was uh, combining Babe the Pig with Baywatch, so they dressed him up like a pig, put a bikini on him with like tits, like pig tits and everything, and a, a makeup pig nose. And he got made up, and they were ready to shoot, but he was such an addict, he needed blow to fucking do it. And his drug dealer wasn't around. He had to go meet him. And he took the fucking bus, dressed like this, got coke, busted through the prosthetic nose, and was doing cocaine as a uh, Babe the Pig uh, Baywatch character in L.A. Metro traffic. Uh, and that was like one of his funny stories he told on, uh, was one of his lows, you know, <laughs> he's an artist <laughs> yeah, dude. and he's serious about his shit, but he's a fucking funny as fuck. So he shows up and from what Norm's, you know, explaining, you're expecting like some fucking guy with stains all over his shirt, looking like shit. He shows up, he's got a fucking like Armani suit on. He's fat, but he's looking good. He's even got, got a, a little fucking rolly on Steve. Yeah. And he wastes no time letting people know like his fortunes. He tells he tells Norm that he's in the import export business. You never want to hear that, Steve. If you if you call me or like I'm doing great, I'm in the import export business. I'm like ah shit. You're talking to MJ again, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. uh, 
and he says he's got making a ton of money shipping companies seconds it just does not seem legit um and so like after overhearing about this toy donation uh already uh daddy warbucks now uh big papa they call him now uh, he offers like man i take care of these kids man i'm that dude and so norm he can't be outshined by his bro his loser half bro he's like no no no, no, no. i'm in charge of this shit. i got it on lock I, i'll get these kids some toys you you do your import export shit. yeah i got this covered so what he he doesn't have it covered steve because what we saw earlier he's broke so he can't buy him so what he does is he gets his little wheelchair friend from the earlier in the episode to call somebody up and is like, hey, I'm really crippled. Can I get some free toys? And that's basically the grift. And yeah. surprise, surprise, they don't get the toys to Norm's dismay. He's like, did you tell him that you were really, really crippled? Because I'm assuming, why didn't yeah. that work? What happened? Yeah, that, that's That's got to sell. And um, so... <laughs> Man, his landlady, his landlady fucking storms in, furious. He's behind. I don't know how far behind Norm is on rent, but she just fucking, she's knocking on the door. And no answer. So she just comes in, the motherfucker, and unhinges his fucking living room door. Like, I mean, I, I even, that that's, you know, pretty straightforward. But still, like, she didn't totally kick him out. That's what so, I'm so saying. Like, if I'm behind that much on rent where they're trying to take shit off hinges do that i mean other than the creepy guy who's waiting to use the restroom (laughs) fucking uh, in short shorts you know maybe that's not cool but at least you're not out on your ass you know you're just gonna take my door shit i got sheets (laughs) all right but so and this all happens in front of Artie, and he's like dude come on dude like let me help you out i got this look at this rolex i'm not lying to you so let's go down to this warehouse we're going to get some toys. And also, you said import-export. Now we're going to a warehouse. What's going on here? What else is in this yeah. warehouse? Are there going to be a bunch of, like, Latin kings with fucking Uzis? <laughs> like, what's going and on? chains here? and shit. <laughs> yeah. And Jankos. And, uh, yeah, man. So, uh, and he's like, also, man, I know you're digging that Shelly broad. So, uh, you know, because I care about you, you know, I, I want this is going to be a good look for you, man. So he's just, he seems like a stand-up guy to me. He knows all the people. Even when he met everybody at the office, he's like, oh, you're this guy. I've heard everything about you. Oh, this is the weird guy, huh? Like, he's he's paying attention. He's not uh, going into a zone or something on the phone with his bro. And uh, so he's got this hookup. So Norm reluctantly agrees. He gets everybody in. He's like, let's go down. We're going to go to this warehouse my brother knows and get these toys. So they show up. And it's just about as bad as you could not hope for, Steve. They're in what looks to be a, some sort of cul-de-sac rape alley. A um, lot of lot of ins, a lot of outs, and uh, yeah, a lot of there, chalk. Yeah, there's definitely some blood that was left over from a murder there a couple of weeks ago. But Artie's trying to get in, um, and Norm's like, "What's going on?" Because like the key's not working, and uh, Artie's like, "No, it's fine. It's cool." And he coughs and like, you know, you cough to like mask the sound of a fart, maybe in public. He coughs to mask the sound of him booting, big booting the fucking door open on this warehouse, Steve. So I don't know if he's working for this guy or what's going on here. Big fucking boot, uh, you know. And so Norm eventually he's like, dude, what the fuck is going on? And Artie tells him like, hey, man. So the, my partner in my inboard business, he, he kind of fucked my paper up. 
And as, as me getting back, you know, to make up for it, I'm, I'm just going to make it up in merchandise. You know, th- this will be upheld in any court. And right after that, we hear cop sirens and basically Yeah. Yeah, that's not that's not the what you wanted to happen, but Norm knew it. He's like, and also just like the, what they're pulling out of this warehouse, like you're gonna give these kids these dirty ass little fucking warehouse toys. They ain't oh, looking bullshit. good. There ain't no GI Joes or nothing, Steve. It's a lot of fucking what look like dolls that have been touched, you know. <laughs> Not even Raggedy Ann. It's Raggedy Ann. What was the name of the villain in Toy Story? It was all the toys in his fucking side of the yard. The real crazy shit. Can't even get Green Army, man. These motherfuckers great. (laughs) He did say the the running company seconds. I I guess that's the spillover. Yeah, Um, I guess. God, the seconds meaning somebody fucking gushed on this. It just looks like they all have been... There's a fine layer of muck on those things, but... You know, it is what it is. They run from the cops. Nobody gets arrested, thank God. But, uh, you know, it's clear Artie's a dick. Um, but they uh, we cut to, I guess, the office now. And yeah. this is the day of the party. There's, there's orphans here. Um, but they ain't got any presents, Steve. But until no, Norm no. walks in, he comes in with some presents. At least that's what we think. They're wrapped. Got them in gift gift wrapped, uh, but they're not toys. He got these kids a spatula, egg beater, toaster, piece of bread, and a ketchup packet mobile. A, a piece of bread, Steve. Like, <laughs> damn, not even a loaf. Not That's a loaf. how broke he is. He needed the rest of that loaf. But these kids are like, yo, what the fuck? This is like giving me toothpaste at Halloween. Like, what is this shit? And he's even, what's funny, he gives a toaster to one kid and bread to the other. And he's like, you guys can play together. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I guess. What Fuck. else are we going to do? But Artie comes in to <clears throat> save the day. And he has actual toys. Uh, even though they might be ran down and probably got from Aldi's. Uh, but Norm notices that Artie's not wearing his watch. And Artie's just like, you know, that watch means little compared to the joy he put on these kids' faces but he does miss that fucking watch. <laughs> yeah, he's he's holding a grudge on these kids, but he does the right thing. And uh, later, after the fact, so kids, orphans, they get some fucking grungy-ass toys, whatever. We cut back to Norm's place, and he's hanging out with Artie, and Artie's about to leave, and Norm's like, you know what, man? I'm going to let you stay here. And Artie's like, here? And he's like, no, dude, the city. I don't want you fucking scumbag ass living with me, but actually, you know what? You can stay here for a while. So, two brothers reunited, Steve. Reunited and it feels so good. And also, he got him a door. Uh, he, he found a replacement for his unhinged door. and uh, But the door was stolen from a local business, uh, specifically Sid and Ira's Bagels. And um, the landlady doesn't like that. She doesn't like a lot of things. She's pretty irate. Um, she's told, she tells Norm, hey, you can't have that door here. Well, shit. All right. And Bitch, I, that's, that's locked. This is a bank door, basically. Get out. Click. That click, I click. mean, that's actually, at this point, you got squatter's rights. Like, she can't even get into your apartment, Steve. I guess she could probably break the glass if she really wants to put her shoulder into it, but... Um, she could totally have him removed from the residence um, 
No, dude. I watch this you Netflix do documentary about squatters' rights. It depends on the city, but sometimes squatters, they stay in an apartment and don't pay for years. There was, I think it was called The Worst Neighbors Ever. It's a di- It's like I, one of those mini Worst docs, roommate dude. ever. That's what it was. And it was yeah, fucking insane, dude. I did see that. That was a good documentary because it, it's fucking insane. Well, and it also clues you in like it's, you know, every, you do have to live with random people, but you do have to kind of not just be like, do the smell test once and be like, okay, I think this pe- person's cool because it can fuck you. Because I want one of the people, it was just like, I think it took like a decade to get the person out of the fucking place. It was something fucking crazy. Yeah, he knew all those little loopholes, man. Uh, but somebody who did not watch this episode of The Norm Show in 1999 on October 6th was probably Gorilla Monsoon, American wrestler and sportscaster, born in 1937. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of people from our age era, uh, we recall the Attitude Era where, you know, Jim Ross and the Kang, Jerry Lawler, man. But before that, you had Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon. And um, I, I feel like they're neck and neck as far as like the greatest like duos in wrestling commentary um just from different eras yeah it's, that's all it is but i mean gorilla mon all those when we talk about renting a tape from video connection one of those free wrestling tapes like the royal rumbles from back in the day or wrestlemanias i almost hear his voice as much as jr's you know like it's it's up there yeah. he's a fucking bad motherfucker it's crazy i always it was just like wild to me he was just always the announcer guy and i could never picture him as a wrestler but what a yeah name. because that was before our time but man he was actually a villain like a super monster heavyweight main eventer in Hell his wrestling yeah. days man um and then like you know he became like more uh innocent as he became a commentator he, he, he was always on the, the side of the good guys but a little fun fact about Gorilla Monsoon, the staging area just behind the entrance curtain at an event is a position which Morella established uh, and where he could often be found during WWF shows late in his career. And it's been dubbed the Gorilla position in his honor. Um, Monsoon has received acclaim for his wrestling career while his announcing has garnered both praise and derision. Um, for the people who are hating on the man, uh, eat several dicks along with yeah, I know you watching, bitch. Yeah, you. Yeah, you. It was probably you. You probably was shitting on Gorilla Monsoon, like you. Who fucking is shitting on Gorilla Monsoon? Seems I mean, fuck, it, fuck a dick. Like you can just fucking get out of the fucking die. Whoa, whoa, maybe not. I, I took it too far, but still, I mean, why are you fucking putting shade on this guy's name? I, yeah, I feel you though, bro. Kind of jumped up. the gun, but I feel, I feel you. That shit came from the heart, cuz. <laughs> It did. It did, dude. I fucking, I just, it came out. So, you know, to those that are just naysaying Gorilla Monsoon, you know, eat 70 or 11 dicks and call it a day. Fuck you. That would suffice. Would you stop any callbacks, dingleberries, or ringworms, my good sir? Um, callback today or uh, this weekend, Steve. I watched um, many 90s movies, but I watched The Rock, um, a Nicolas Sean Cage, Connery. Sean Connery, uh, what I think is a Michael Bay movie, I think, in visuals, it appears to be. Um, but just I miss that. I miss the dumb 
I miss these dumb action movies that had a little bit of quality. I've watched a lot of Netflix movies with Chris Hemsworth, a lot of these fucking like heartthrob guys trying to do the same thing, and it's not the same. It's not the same. So do yourself a favor. Watch Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage do some crazy shits with some weird green jelly balls and missiles. It doesn't make sense, but it's fucking great. What about you, Steve? Um, so in 1990, SNL is being hosted by Susan Lucci. And this is the first time an episode of Saturday Night Live uh, was hosted by a daytime soap opera performer. Um, you know, she was famous uh, throughout the years uh, for her role in All My Children. And um, I think like she might be the only. Like, I don't think there's been a, a soap opera performer that's hosted since. Maybe somebody that did a soap opera, but not somebody that was just famous for soap operas. That was famous just for, yeah, exactly. And uh, also in 1990, that same day, Saved by the Bell is airing the episode House Party. And this is the one where Screech's parents go out of town. And he's courting with his uh, love interest, who's played by Tori Spelling. And Tori Spelling breaks uh, Screech's mom's Elvis, uh, uh, what is it? It's just like a statue. statuesque thing. Yeah. Statue. Yeah. A, a, por- a porcelain statue. And so, like, they have, like, this poker. If they play poker or some shit like that for him to, you know, get his uh, mom's Elvis statue back. You know, it's an Elvis statue. Y'all put, through, put yourselves through too much trouble. Uh, get some super glue. You're good. It's fine. Nobody's going to notice. It's fucking Elvis. Who gives a fuck? Uh, but also, man, please like, share, subscribe, and comment. We've noticed uh, people have been commenting on our Facebook, uh, on our Instagram, and some people have even been sharing our stuff on Facebook, and we appreciate that. Thank um, you, guys. Man. And check out Over the Culture on Sundays with me, Crush Gazin with Kendra on Wednesdays, B3F Podcast with Joey and Steve, and Don't Worry, Be Booby with Amanda and Wade. This is Steve G and Maggie with Happening in the 90s. No!